Years after Detroit went bankrupt, the city was reborn. Local developers wanted to help build back their city, but soon discovered that while they had the talent, they were lacking the opportunity. The reality was, minority-owned development firms were only getting a fraction of the major projects. This has inspired J.P. Morgan Chase to invest in local talent and help aspiring developers of color grow their communities while making them more equitable. Learn more at jpmorganchase.com impact. You do anything to keep your vehicle happy. Let's make sure it stays running smoothly. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you'll find the right parts that fit your vehicle the first time. From air filters to headlights to batteries and bumpers. When you see the green check, you know that part will fit. Get the right parts at the right prices. Head to ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 225 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today in the podcast, we welcome Ben Green from Fairweather and Ivacota Recording Studios. Now, if I mispronounced that, I apologize, but it is a recording studio um, that Ben has and uh, most of you probably are from Fairweather. So we speak about his time growing up, being exposed to music, forming Fairweather, struggles in the mid-2000s, and what was really candid was just not just the successes, but also the mistakes that the band made. And I think it was really amazing for Ben to open up like that about things that went well and things that didn't go well. Uh, Fairweather has new music, so check that out. And uh, there's tons of stories around Equal Vision Records, which many of you know that I work there. And uh, we talk about someone named Dan uh, a lot, who was, uh, is the GM and a dear friend of Ben and I. Um, also, get into Ben's second life, as I said before, about a producer, engineer, mixer, running Ivacota Recording Studio in D.C. It's a really fun way to end speaking about how he learned from the band and how to help today's bands try not to make the same mistakes or make those same successes again. Lastly, we nerd out a little bit about our metal throughout the episode, including a story at the end that you will not want to miss. So it ends, then there's a pause, and then it, uh, there's another little clip. So stay for that. And uh, to celebrate the metal chat, we both made metal playlists on Spotify, and those will be linked on washedemo.com. Now, in the future, if Spotify doesn't exist, there'll be something there, but that's how it is. All right, learn more about Ben at bengreensound.com or ivacoda.com, I-V-A-K-O-T-A.com. This is episode 225 of the Washed Up Email Podcast with Ben Green from Fairweather. Ben, what's going on? Hey, hey. How are you? I'm pretty good, man. What's happening? Not much. Thanks, thanks for doing this. Yeah, of course. How are you? I'm all right, man. Thank you for you know catching up a little bit and, and glad that we're reconnected. Um, I think it's awesome that some of these bands um, that I worked at EVR, you know, years later um, to see what they're up to, but also returning back to their roots. So I think it's a really fun time, um, you know, to talk with you. And I'm sure there's some overlap, but, you know, a lot of things um, start at epicenters, um, especially for punk and hardcore and especially uh, emo. And you were in the middle of it. Um, so I just, how did you get into music? Were you always, you know, in that area in Nova or, you know, the DC area? Um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, um, I, I definitely was sort of, I think I was, I mean, compared with the other guys in the band, I think I was maybe a little bit of a late comer to, 
um, like punk music, um, you know, like hardcore music. It wasn't, it wasn't really anything that I knew about until I'd met Jay Littleton, the singer of Fairweather. That was like maybe my senior year of high school or the year before, I think. Um, I definitely was very, very into music before that. I, I was really into music as like a young kid. Um, the first stuff that I was, was very into was like, you know, I was really into, into metal like really into heavy metal, um, like late eighties, early nineties. Like I was you know, like a 10 year old kid into thrash metal, um, and played in like real bad bands. Um, you know, uh, trying to play death metal music and stuff like that when I was pretty young. What year was that? Um, probably 1991, 92. I was doing the you same know? thing. I came through metal. Like I thought, what, 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 what sort of stuff were you into? Because I'm like, always curious. That's like a, it's like a golden era for metal in dude, a sense. Like Century um, Media, Relapse. Yes. Like yes. I loved, um, I loved Death. I loved uh, yes, um, Grave. Yeah, Grave. Creation. Dude, there's oh. a Grave song that like I will still put on like playlists, and someone's like, "How the fuck do you know that band?" I'm like, "Dude, I bought it out of the back of Metal Maniacs." Like I oh, got yeah, man. Rip magazine was cool. Metal Maniacs, like Metal Edge, I thought was fucking cheesy. Like I never got into Kiss. I never like that was. I mean, I had a warrant and like hair metal thing for a minute, but then Nirvana killed it. But I was like listening to Nirvana at the same time. I was listening to Grave, and I thought that is that's so that weird you? because that it's exactly <laughs> that is exactly the same thing. And and like I mean, Nirvana was very cool. I felt like they they were definitely more mainstream. That I mean, at the time, right? right then, like, then I, I, at least I, in my, I'm like a little kid. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I'm listening to this insane, like, death metal shit, and like, Nirvana was like heavy in a cool way, but like, it was a whole different vibe. Um, but it was still serious. Like, I think I was just into serious seeming music, I guess. And death metal was like very serious for like a little kid to be like listening to, like a 10, 11, 12 year old kid to be into. But, um, you know, like at the gates, I, mayhem. Like, were you listening to like crazy dis, shit? Yeah, di, I wasn't. I did not get into the Norwegian. I did not know black metal stuff. It was okay. like Swedish death metal. Okay. Uh, at the gates, <laughs> um, dismember. Yes. Um, entombed, uh, napalm death. Like the Morrisound stuff. Like, what was all the Florida? You know, the Florida death metal stuff. Like, um, was that Morbid Angel? You know, stuff like that. I think there's like this this like DIY part that I picked up from those bands because no one paid attention. There was a few people that like championed that kind of stuff. Yes, there was a big network, but it was like you had to get through the slop a little bit. And and it definitely I, it definitely was like super alternative. I mean, it was right. not like popular in a like you saw a kid at school with a metal shirt on. I mean, that was your that was your bro, you right. know, that was your buddy, you know, and all the kids that like you know, we're in the metal would, would talk and talk shop about what records were coming out and stuff. And, you know, that was like a pretty popular, I guess like some of it did start to really break into the mainstream around that time. Like with, you know, like Sepultura, like chaos AD and Megadeth, right. um, you know, fear factory. Like, yeah. All that stuff did start to creep in, but like I was definitely into the like 
pretty gnarly stuff. Like um, what? And I like, th- well, you know, no, I mean, like all the like heavy death stuff, death, you know, death metal stuff. Um, that was not like being played on like the radio, you know. And I think about my poor mom, like driving me around, like listening to these tapes, like, <laughs> oh my god, like what a f- nightmare, you know, what a nightmare that must have been. All right, so <laughs> you know? Ben and I are gonna have a shared Spotify playlist of our favorite metal songs, so we will move on for the audience. Jay, how did so did Jay get you into different shit? Did Jay was like check this out? check this other thing out well no i was still pretty young when i was into that and then like uh i remember seeing um there was like some pretty specific moments that got me out of that world um one of them was i think it was the same year it was like 94 or 95 i saw quicksand on the john stewart show and i was like what the hell is this like this is heavy i think this was like manic compression era I think they did like Thorn in My Side or uh, one of the songs off of that, Landmine Spring or something off that record. Yeah, I think it was either of those two, yeah. Yeah, and it was just like, okay, like seeing that, this like heavy but melodic and serious regular looking guys playing, you know, like they, they didn't look crazy. And I was like, oh, so this is like, this is per actual like, seriousness (laughs) seriousness <laughs> you know like <laughs> the de- like the death metal stuff then i was sort of like oh that is like artifice you know like it's just that's like total the- the- theater and like this is way more genuine and it like really struck a chord in me seeing that performance and that started to pull me into a, a direction more in the like you know more like less heavy stuff um, and more serious kind of approaches to music. And then I remember the big thing was hearing on like the late night, Sunday night, like alternative music show um, in DC was hearing Sunny Day Real Estate. Um, uh, Like no idea, had no idea what it was at all, but I think they played seven. This may have been 94 or 95. It was like somewhere around the same time as that like quicksand thing. And it like, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And that like changed everything for me, like totally changed everything um, for my musical direction. And it got me very into um, like the sub pop, touch and go, up records, merge records. Like, you know, it was like back in the day when you just like, you just would get cattle, you would like mail in for a catalog um, uh, from like a record label and they would send you stuff to, you know, to dig through. And... It, you would wait like a month or something for this stuff to show up. And then it was like this amazing like gift when you'd get it and you dig through. And so got really into all that like Pacific Northwest um, uh, type stuff, you know, built to spill Sebado. Um, Did you realize you know, that uh, some of these bands were, were coming through? Yes, a little bit because I had friends that were going to shows um, and there were, there were like, you know, there were, it was a, you know, we had a lot of amazing venues in, in DC, like the Black Cat and I 30 Club. And then there was a lot of community spaces and there were like record stores that would have shows in them. Um, and, uh, you know, being like near other st- places like Philadelphia and like Richmond and Chapel Hill, you know, I mean, like the merge records seemed like Super Chunk was always coming through. Hell yeah. Um, and that was like another band that I absolutely adored um, growing up. So I was very into like the indie rock world. And I then I met a lot of friends at, in high school um, who were also into like British music, like the Stone Roses and Oasis and the Charlatans and Inspiral Carpets, all that kind of stuff that was going on at the time, Supergrass. And um, 
So I got into that that world a good bit, and I was like completely unaware of punk music, completely unaware of hardcore music, and I think I kind of was not digging on it when I would dabble into it. Like I was just kind of like, this is like, feels like simple in this kind of way that I didn't understand, you know, like it was like not um, dressed up enough or something like mm-hmm. when I first heard it. But I got to be friends with, with Jay Littleton in high school. Um, like we were, um, I was really, we were both really into art and like graffiti, like painting graffiti. Like um, we had like a, a good friend, a common good friend that was like, um, you know, we, we all like would share our black books and like do graffiti pieces and, and go to these like, you know, these train yard, I mean, whatever. It was all such a disaster. But um, we were like taking these classes together at um, this place that did like, you know, like they did like um, abstract painting classes, um, like outside of school at this place in Alexandria, you know, which is like a suburb of DC. Mm -hmm. And like, we just, we just got to become really good friends, just like kind of through, you know, through music, through painting, just being similar kinds of people were like very I think we're pretty similar in a lot of ways and we just got to be really good friends and it was through him that I learned about punk music hardcore music um and like emo music like he showed me like the get up kids and he he called it emo music and I I did not really know what that was I did it didn't really like connect for me I just thought it was like indie rock I don't know you know what I mean like it wasn't anything that that I had a, a good sense of I was like pretty pretty blind to it and it was really like when he started taking me to shows, like when we used to go to shows like hardcore and punk shows together, like that is really when it all truly connected for me. Um, and, you know, like these other bands that I was into when I was younger, like, you know, they were pretty removed from the audiences at shows, right? They're totally. like on, it was a very like separate kind of thing. And it was at a venue, you know, and there's like, this kind of format, right? Like there's this, there's this particular kind of environment that you're in, but the punk shows and the hardcore shows were totally not that at all in DC. Um, everybody was in the same place, oftentimes on the same level because they were playing on the floor or whatever, you know, there was not like this separation of the artist and the, the people watching the artist. There was this like, really ingrained community and I don't think I could have formulated it at the time like what that meant to see but um it definitely really hit me hard as like wow this is like um people just doing it uh however they want to at whatever space they can find and it was like remarkable to me like totally gripping that that was a thing you could do um and that's that's what what really drew me in, um, to that world. And it was really, I mean, as Jay is, was the person who convinced me to play music with him. I, you know, I didn't really have any aspirations. I mean, I was a guitar player and I played guitar for, you know, like just taking lessons and stuff. And I played in bands, garage bands and stuff like doing bad music for years. Um, but like I, I was into art. I wanted to go to school for painting and, um, you know, uh, and I did, I mean, I, I went to art school for two years before leaving to, to tour and stuff, but, um, that kind of witnessing of the way a a scene and a culture like is happening, like on the ground level was the thing that really like did it for me, you know, less so than the music, even just like the practice, you know, and what it meant to support people. It was like 
reasonably diverse, all kinds of people doing it. Um, it was like amazing to me. Yeah. One thing I noticed going, which may be similar to you is, uh, you know, back then I felt, you know, you know, your high school friends because you're in your town. There isn't this interplay like you might know someone from another high school or school because of a sports thing, maybe, or a club. But that was really few and far between. And I, I, I would be at these shows in this small town and, and someone would be like, how do you know someone from there? Like we'd be in at the mall where, you know, you would converge or not, not converge. That'd be actually amazing. But uh, if they were at the mall, but uh, you know, you would be there <laughs> <laughs> um, if you were, you were there and like you would see these people and I would wave to someone and my dad would be like, how do you know that person? And, and I saw them at the show, you know, and you, I was like you said, exposed to people that were even different that were a town over that you might not have interacted with and I still keep in touch I saw one of them like last week you know that I ended up meeting you know years ago at these shows and I just think that part was you're in this little room you can't sort of you are together intermixing and yeah there was bullshit and stupid zines and you know things being said but I just I remember if it's rose-colored I still remember being exposed to things I never would have been exposed to yeah, exactly. And and I, I also, you know, I think that that kind of organic, that organic culture around music is sometimes, you know, it's not obvious to a lot of people that like, that's how things arise, you know, because music is so heavily commodified. It's like this thing that you buy or it's this thing that you consume or whatever. It's like the, a widget that gets sold to you, or at least at the time. You know, and this was something that people were just doing and making with each other. And I didn't really know that, I don't think, you know, before seeing it actually occurring and like in person. And it was it was like, oh, yeah, like this people just are going to do whatever they feel compelled by. And maybe it resonates with the people that live in their town or the town over. Maybe people will drive from Richmond or drive from Baltimore to come see this moment. And it's not like anyone's offering this culture to you. No one's like handing it to you. Um, it's like you're making it like you, you're it's your responsibility, you know, and I really, really admired that. I really did. Yeah, I think there would there'd be kids on Monday or, you know, the show was on a Saturday, most likely, or a Friday. And I'd come in Monday with a with a new shirt or like a, 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 a new tape from the distro or, or something. And it was like I, I kind of like, felt like I figured it out. I was like, everyone else is moving slow and I'm moving fast. Um, and I, I kind of yeah, I got really that's I get the same thing. It just hooked me where I'm like, and then I just floodgates open. I'm sure it did for you where it's like, what else can I do? How else can I be, you know, creating and feeling off that energy? Jay convinced me to start playing music with him. And like, you know, we had this group of, of other kids that we were, you know, playing with. I think I was like 17 years old or something. And you know, we'd play these these little shows and like it was like not about really anything other than I mean it really enjoying yourself with your friends and and like just like messing around and, and having fun and like you know I don't know make making the stuff that you kind of cared about um, and it was like over time it became you know we got more thoughtful more serious about what it is that we were trying to do and and um, but we really just honestly like we benefited so much off of the the 
like really hard work of of other people in our city who had like been you know putting you know put years into doing their own shows DIY shows you know at VFW halls and churches and things like that um and we we really were we walked into a vibrant vibrant scene it was very lucky and talk about Fairweather you know you were sort of convinced to join um what were some of those common um things that you guys connected on when you started to sit in that room together or stand in that room rather um you know i think like the one of the bands that we i mean obviously the very first record that we did um and the like the first songs we ever recorded really um like even before our um you know our our first album was recorded this these demos that we did um you know lifetime was a really big influence um on that stuff this like punk like this like really pretty driving melodic like desperate like hardcore punk rock type stuff we really loved that um and that was a big influence for the stuff that we connected on um there was definitely quicksand stuff in there and for me um like the cure was a big thing that um you know, was important Sunday day real estate, the cure, these kinds of things. Um, and it's, it's funny, like so many of those bands have so much texture and, and depth to them. And, and it's funny, like when I go back and listen to the early songs that we recorded and, um, and played, like they're so much simpler than I remember them. <laughs> than I remember them Really? Like, yeah. And like try, you know, and like in comparison with the stuff that, that I feel like I was, you know, digging, it's like, these are like, this is an 18 year old kid trying to figure out the guitar, you know, <laughs> like, was what, that, you know, was that the recording process too? Did you feel that it was, it like, didn't come across the way, or was it just your age? And you were, like you said, a kid no, trying I think to it was, it out. I, th- I, I think his age, I, I think, you know, I think it's, it's hard to write songs, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I think like as a, as a youth, like, you know, I look at the songs and they're all at the same, like four or five chords, you know, it's like the box shape on the guitar and right. they all like do, do a little bit of different stuff. But, but those were definitely the, the bands that I think like we connected on. There's other stuff, but, but lifetime was like a really big one. Um, you know, that was a really big influence on, on us at the time. I mean, they were just a really incredible band. So you're, you're, you're playing in the area. You're, you're, you're doing shows. When did, uh, when did the Sandman come knocking? (laughs) Well, we had recorded, um, we had recorded a, or we, this is a kind of a funny story, but we had, um, we had studio time with, um, our friend John Henry, who is the singer of Darkest Hour. We went to high school, like Jay and I went to high school with John and, uh, Mike who, um, are in Darkest Hour. So those guys were like, um, friends of ours. And John was interning at this studio, um, you wouldn't even believe where the studio was at. I mean, if you go to this street now in DC, like it's, there's like a, like a two level Sephora and a West Elm, but there was this, this studio on 14th street, like two doors down from the black cat, um, venue. And it had been owned by a guy named Jeff Turner and it was called W, uh, GNS. Yes. And he'd record, he'd recorded like, uh, a lot of stuff like, uh, the, the Raymond break and a whole bunch of bands had recorded there. And then Ken Olden, 
um, and some other guy, I can't remember who it was, had taken that space over um, and they were recording um, bands out of there. And we uh, we got this like hookup for, I don't know, a couple days or something like that in the evenings with John because he was interning there. And so he was just going to like record our band to learn on the learn the equipment. And we had um, uh, the drummer who was playing for us at the time. He something happened and he couldn't make it. And John John uh, Henry was like, well, what if I found another drummer just to play uh for you guys for this weekend just so I can still practice and learn how to like record stuff or whatever. Um, and we were like, well, I guess so. Um, and so he called, um, a friend of his, Pat Broderick, who was a drummer for this great band called majority rule. Oh, fuck. Um, Yeah. Yeah. In, 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 uh, Virginia, DC. And he came and recorded these three songs with us. And it was like, I mean, Pat is like a phenomenal drummer. Um, and so these songs were really were like, oh shit. Like these, <laughs> you know, with music like that, Dude, the I know like, if you have the, if you have the right drummer, it sometimes, oh I mean, my God, it sometimes yeah. elevates it a little bit further than it is. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it for those songs. So it was like, oh, okay. Now these, you know, these songs are really like kicking ass and he was into it. And so. He was like, you know, would you be into me playing for you guys? And we were like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, and uh, we were like super amazed that he would be into it. And so uh, we finished this demo and we gave it to a local promoter, this guy, Jamie Arthurs, who was a he did shows at this place called St. Andrew's Church, mm-hmm. um, which was in College Park. I don't know if you ever had gone to any of the shows there, but I hadn't. But they were, I, I know of it. Yeah. I mean, it's like crazy to think about this time in like 99, 2000, 2001. I mean, there were shows there where there were like a thousand people in this church, like to see like, you know, we played with like Jimmy Eat World there, um, like Dashboard, Hot Water Music, um, uh, At the Drive-In. I mean, huge. These were enormous shows. I mean, it was insane. And so he got this demo was like, I love this demo. Um, let me book you and let me manage you guys. And I'm going to send this, this demo to, uh, equal vision. And we loved equal vision. Um, like we liked all the bands and stuff on it. And this is like, is either 99 or 2000. Maybe it was the end of 99. I can't remember exactly. It may have been the end of 1999 or the very beginning of 2000. And, um, and he sent that demo to Dan, and uh, Dan was, like, interested in it, and he came down to see us play <laughs> a show in Annapolis um, with the Juliana Theory, and that that was that. Um, <laughs> How many words did about- he say? He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a very, <laughs> he's, he's austere <laughs> with his word choice, but he was like, I think we should do something. <laughs> you know, Thank you. That's all can, I wanted you, you to him? do. Can, That's all I wanted you, you to do. Can you see him in your head? Can yes, you of course I can. Dude, he, yeah. I would be, the I'm smile. A, He's, that's why he plays poker. I told him he should always be a lawyer. I was like, I am like the worst at poker or showing my cards. Like he, I wouldn't, we'd be driving home. I'd be like, what'd you think of the band? And like, it, it was awesome. You know, and like this most that is like, also a great Dan impression. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> well, and we, know, you know, but that's where him coming down was like. I just think that was that to me is like that's huge that he he went he went to a show to see it. Like that was a big deal. <laughs> oh yeah, 
Oh yeah. And like Dan was like the coolest dude. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was just like Coheed played his ne- wedding on a boat. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was there. Oh, you were there too. Awesome. How Jay, fun was that? Jay and I Jay and I both were there. Did you yeah. guys play too? I felt like there was someone else that played other than Coheed. I I think that we I think he asked us, and I think we were way too bashful to say yes to, to do that. <laughs> All right, sorry, digress. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> sorry, I can't quite remember, but but yes. Um, so Dan he was, was pumped. Like, he was just the I don't know, man. Like you know, Dan, he's just like this like the coolest, most chill guy, and it's all just it was so easy in this particular way. You right. know what I mean? Like it, there was nothing weird, nothing. Like I mean, not that I necessarily would have known. You know, at the time, if it was, you know, if there was some shady record label guy, do you know? I don't know. I was like eighteen years old. What the fuck do I know? But um, I just liked him. Um, We liked him, and and so that year, um, we started wrapping up like the the record, the songs that we had been writing, and um, we wanted to record with uh, another local guy. Um, who was in another band that we loved and loved his recordings, Brian McTurnan. Yes. Um, he was in this band, Battery, that we all liked a lot. Ashes. And, um, Ashes. I had no idea. I was too young to know Ashes at all. Um, but Can I tell Battery, a quick Brian McTurnan story? Tell uh, me. Dan was like, oh, I need to send... I'm, I was such a dork. I'm at EVR, and Dan's like, oh, I need to send McTurnan a bunch of records. And I I thought I was so stoked. I was like, oh, fuck, battery. Like, oh, my God. Like, holy shit, Damnation AD. And so I put every band he was in on the UPS label with his name. Oh, my God. That's amazing. (laughs) And I never heard anything. And so I'm just, like, mortified. I just was like, ah, such a dork. And Dan didn't – obviously, he probably in his head was like, you are a complete moron, but I'm not going to stop you. But I just thought it was like, if I'm going to send something to McTurnan, I got to put every band I love on the UPS label. So I pity – That's amazing, Yeah, so I'm sure whoever in D.C. was delivering that was like, what the fuck is going on on this name? So you were going to work with Brian. Yeah, we loved Brian's stuff. We, we, you know, he came to like our practices, um, a couple of our practices. We were practicing in Jay's parents' basement. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that Brian said at those practices. Like, I, like I'm, I own a studio and I record bands and produce bands and stuff. And there is stuff that he told us at that, at those practices that like, I, it's just like, I'll never forget them because it, wow. uh, like, it just makes sense. I say the same stuff to people that I work with because it's like, oh, that is for this kind of, this particular style of music or this particular style of music, like there's like very specific things that probably need to align in these particular ways. And uh, it's because like Brian said that stuff wow. out loud. And I was like, oh, that makes a lot of, like, you know, it was stuff like uh, do some practice where it's like just the bass the drums and like the vocals and just see how everything is moving together in the same way like the the low end should should hit at the same time you know all the chord changes need to happen at the same time whatever stuff like that that like you know a lot of young bands they don't know what you know they, they're in a basement they can't hear right what the, the low end is doing because there's a bunch of guitars making all kinds of noise so it's just a massive mud like strip stuff away and like listen carefully to these foundational elements and see where the conflicts are and then resolve those. And then 
and then like add your guitars in, add the like meat, add the wall of the, the wall of guitars and, and make sure that that's gelling with that stuff. I like never forgot that stuff. Like it was like, that was a big deal to me. Um, and that like that recording process was like, um, you know, that was, that definitely got me stoked on, on the studio. That was like, really, I mean, it was, yeah, very, very cool. Very cool. Um, and so we like, we recorded at Brian's, he lived in this house, um, on Longfellow street, um, Northwest. We recorded a, like a, it was sort of like a teaser version of one of our songs, whatever it takes, which is funny. It's like a reference to a battery song. I am pretty sure that's what Jay was re- referencing a battery, a battery record. I don't know that Brian even picked up on that at the time, which is kind of funny, but like, um, we recorded that. We were like the last people to record in his home at this, this house where he recorded like Caven, um, Jupiter and all these other like great records at this house. Right. That was another thing that like really struck me. I was like, man, you don't need necessarily anything crazy or crazy, like overly professionalized anything to like make dope sounding stuff with people if you know what you're doing and the, the stuff is good you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it was just in his ha- it was just in his house you know like and it was like that's where like jupiter was recorded you know what i mean like it's like insane yeah exactly and, like, frotus i think uh, and we washed our weapons in the sea most of it was done in this house anyway that was like some of these things are like little just tidbit well, i feel like it's the I... same thing of you going to that show right you those early punk shows going like okay you can do this we're all together on the same stage like sitting with McTurnan, seeing that house and going, I-, I can do it. And that's all this sort of, there's competition and bullshit, but there was encouragement and go do it yourself and no one's forcing you to do it, but you're kind of, you're, you saw these tools in front of you, correct? I think so. And, and when I really like try to like when I, I, I mean, again, this is stuff that was like intuitive at the mm-hmm. time. And when I tried to formalize it now, it, I, I think like, it, there's something about like over uh like over professionalization over like um stru- like uh, overly structured methods of of doing something that's like kind of weird and organic and magic and like like music like fucking around and like making music which is this like t- you know time tested tradition for human beings it's like it's hard to organize that. It's hard to structure that. And when I was witnessing those, you know, those moments in this scene, in this culture, it was like there were just nodes of structure. The rest of it were people just figuring things out. Like there right. was no top, there was no top down anything. Like there was no structural like oversight. It was just like this like weirdly libertarian, <laughs> like, you know, all bets are off, figure it out, um, with what you've got, like a minimum viable product. You know what I mean? Like, right. uh, what's, what's, what you have, let's make it function. Let's make it work. Um, and then that's what you have because the world is filled with limitations and you have to work within your limitations when you're making stuff like art or whatever. Um, and that's really like, when I think about it, then I, th- I think that's something that's, that's really appealed to me about certain things in life, just as I've grown, you know, is the ability for things to have the breathing room to, to, to not be formally organized in this particular way. I if notice it, it does, because I notice when bands um, send me things 
and I know I know when I know when they're I can tell when they send in a demo that they've tried or they're figuring something out. And then there's others that have this assumption that this is the way to send something or this is the way yeah. to share. Yeah. And I send them a note back and I'm like, you know, I, I respond to most everybody and it's just interesting to to see that like some of the bands that I've promoted over the years and just have sent me like literally like one line. Like, check out this song. I don't really know, you know, or then, uh, you know, the EPKs or the, you know, the giant, you know, check out all the stuff we've done. Here's all our merch. And I'm like, where's the music? I want to hear something, you know, and um, it, it doesn't it, it needs to. I think some people think there's this thing you enter one, two, three, four, five, and it equals get get signed. And I think that that you, you, when you said not organized in breathing room, I think there's that uncertainty of like, what do you mean? Like, another example, bands would sign to EVR and just thought it would happen. And yeah. I just, yep. I was laughing where I'm like, uh, yeah, dude, this is just getting going. <laughs> this is, you like, got to put some work in. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, again, I think those bands that sent in the weird emails or the bands that thought it just happened. I appreciate that sort of feeling, but I love the uncertainty and I love the way up. I don't like it when it hits. Like if my podcast, the biggest thing in the world, like I, that's more, that's not the fun. I like the ramp up. And I just think some people aren't comfortable in that ramp up. Um, I, I completely understand what you are saying with that. And, and it's about a kind of tension like when something is too, I don't know, personally, when something is too clearly rehearsed, too clearly, um, you know, refined in a particular way, there's a sterility that is kind of, for me at least, a, a bit of a turnoff in a, in a sense, right? Like I'm looking for a little uncertainty, like you just said, right? Like, is the trick going to land? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I actually can't watch scripted TV. Like it's very hard because I, I I want like I like things I like live. Uh, that's why I like sports. Like unless if they're like fixing the game or something. But like there you know there's there's an there's a organized chaos, and I sometimes like that. Sure. But I, I feel I would love the term breathing room because there's this just I'm not going to your house if I'm going to your house to play. I'm not thinking that's we're going to be a big band by the time the afternoon's over it just it, it, it was sort of a i want to be in this space with this person right now and i don't know what's going to happen and i have to, you have to be okay with that there's not like a that is right yes and and i think that that's a little bit of that's there, there's a, a bit of that missing from the way that uh you know media is accessed it's like global noise um and there's not much mystery in a particular way to the way people, um, you know, interact with like art in, in, in some ways, like, because it's, it's just available. Um, and it's all, it's all there. There's this, there's this noise that has to be kind of, at least the, at least the impulse that a, a lot of artists have is that they've got to rise above this global noise, this noise floor that like, is just everywhere. Like, it's funny, like trying to think about like learning about new music and different styles of music as a kid. And, and like, there are, there are times I forget about this, but there was this, like one of the ways that I would learn about new music was that there was like this, the news, the Washington post, they used to have this 
local like weekend section in it and they would have music reviews and you would like to hear the music you would like call a phone number uh, on the like on the review section and like dial in a code and they would have <laughs> they would have like played a part of the song into the phone you know like and she would like listen through your phone to like this, like whatever this, you know, this, this song and, and like see if you liked it or not. It's like, there's like a bit of a process to finding out about stuff. And then it reaches this point where it's just like a type, you know, you just type, type in some words and you kind of find whatever you need. And that like uh, total um, access is like a little bit, um, it can make people feel like they've kind of got to be a certain way or at least rise above some minimum threshold with the way they're presenting themselves or like the way that they, what, what are the things they need to have to attract the attention of whoever the gatekeeper in their mind is. Um, and I think that's detrimental to things like local culture. I'm like a big fan of just like provincialism, parochialism, just like small insular scenes that are doing their own thing. And, uh, definitely the flattening of people's ability to find out about stuff is good for many, many, many things like very good. I'm not saying it's bad, but it can, it can kind of, uh, dull you to your own surroundings, right? It can, uh, it can make you a little bit immune to paying attention to the specificity of the place you live, to the people that are around you, to the particular sensibilities of the context of like the place you live and who you are near. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it makes you want to be like some other thing in some other place that anybody and, you know, and, and, uh, their, their friends may be thinking that they need to be like, but, uh, you know, anyway, it's more like, um, the sensibilities that people have locally in the places that they live are oftentimes universal, but they are diverse and more diverse than just whatever the perspective is that, that you need this EPK, you need to have this kind of a video, you need to have this lyric video for yourself, you know, all these different things that people are trying to check the boxes because the formats of those things may not even exist in 20 years. So who the fuck cares? Right. (laughs) You know what? I mean, it actually brings up a little bit of what I was going to ask about, during the Fairweather career because there's this moment where like you talk about the gatekeepers or what other things were happening and sort of um, what was what was popular and I think uh, a very interesting time um, in the early 2000s yeah 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 you know the you guys are but before we get to that I want to talk about you know if if they move kill them you know the 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 lead up to that like how did what was oh, that? Yeah. What was that feeling? And again, we can be a little bit more in- inside baseball because I was sort of at your New York City showcase shows, or you know, they did those EVR runs in the yes, East Coast. Yes. Like I was at all those. Like you, a little more inside baseball than usual um, because I was, you know, a fan then before working. But what was that like? Because that was a really fun. I mean, I remember Mac Rocks that were fucking nuts. Um, oh my God, those shows were so amazing. <laughs> Coheed I, opening. Those, oh my gosh, we we played Mac Rock one time, and there was this vent. This I think it was like the, the the big ballroom they had there or whatever. They split it in half. Yes, right. They had this divider, and we played literally at the exact same time as the dismemberment plan on the other side of like a like a folding wall. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, so oh, no, I was I was in the room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and there was like a guy in a gorilla suit, like, uh, you know, throwing bananas. Or I mean, it was insane. Th- those shows, Macrack was always so so incredibly cool but yes uh, let me I, that was just like me getting <laughs> and i actually I, I went to school in the south and so that was sort of where i first met a ton of people first time i saw get up kids uh you know those sort of uh i felt like they you played mac rock before you played cmj or south by like it was this almost 100%, like farm system 100 percent. yeah yep um, yep, totally. But like, I just think bringing bringing back to that, you've got a new record. Um, the internet is not fast. It's getting it's getting sped up. Um, you had to put the work in. What were some of those things where you felt okay? Shit's kind of happening. Um, it it actually felt like it happened kind of fast in a particular way after our record came out. Like people liked it. Um, and you know, Jay and I, we. Well, it was weird in, in a way because like, so Jay and I were both in college um, and I, I, I mean, I honestly, I can't quite remember because the, the other guys in the band at the time, they're, they're not in the band anymore. They were just on in that band for the first record. Wow. Um, and, and honestly for not a ton of the touring on the first record, like the first record came out, Jay and I were in college and I, it honestly, the, I, I remember the moment I would, that I think it was Jay and I and Brian McTernan and Mike Porman from Hot Rod Circuit. We were out to, at dinner. We were at the Cheesecake Factory um, of all <laughs> like ran, random places. I guess that was like our conception of like a cool place to go eat at the time or whatever. And, um, you know, we were talking about like the record because it had been out for like a, a couple months. It was like spring or something of 2001. And, you know, we were both just like going to stay in school, tour in the summer, do weekend shows. And, uh, I remember both those guys were just like, dude, this is crazy that like people, like nobody gets this, right? Like nobody gets people liking their original bands, original music, like across the country, you know, that, and, and I didn't, I had not really like thought about it that way. And I was like, man, that is pretty weird. Um, it is very unusual. And they were like, you guys really should work your asses off. Um, and that is when everything changed. I, I was like, Jay and I both were like, you know, defer enrollment. Let's just do this. Let's go hard. Wow. Um, and so we just, we just, I mean, this is my second year of college. I was like 19. We had been touring. We had done like, you know, weekend tours and stuff like that and week long little things. Um, you know, before the album came out, we had done some stuff with like the Juliana theory and further seems forever when, uh, Chris was singing, um, for them like back, you know, 2000 or mid, mid two thousands, I think yep. mid 2000. And, um, and so we, we went out, uh, that summer after our record came out with Thursday, that was like our first, uh, tour was with them and it was like uh the friendship is sharing deal because i want one of your mcnuggets and i need some of your quarter pounder there's a deal for everyone at mcdonald's get one favorite like 10 piece chicken mcnuggets a quarter pounder or a big mac and get another for just a buck price and participation may vary valid for item of equal or lesser value it's like a midwest south northeast thing and we the first show we played in philadelphia i think it was philly the the lineup for the band like we we like our drummer Pat was on tour in Europe with like uh I can't remember who it was it may have been this band for the living I can't remember who it was but 
we had like a lineup that had never ever played together in the same room our first show in philly like we got on stage we had all gone over the songs separately and like a group of us had played together it was an absolute nightmare i mean horrible and was just so bummed out as you would be like as any band would <laughs> like would be if you'd never played together like right. music never played like together and you're like not trained you know whatever you're just like punk kids and so that you know that ended up coming together as the shows went on, got better and better. And the tour ended up being really fantastic for us. Um, and then later that summer we did a further teams forever tour, full U S tour. And then we just kept going, um, you know, all through that winter, uh, we did a tour with strike anywhere and nine 11 happened. I, I like a lot of people, I think, I don't know if like people on your show talk about this, but like how strange it was traveling, playing, sub like oftentimes subversive music like after 9-11 and what a bizarre world it yes. was bef after right after that happened like we played cmj um at cbgb's i think like right i was at after. that show that that were you yeah because yeah, i i was in new york on 9-11 um yeah no, i mean that that cmj showcase in october um i still have a ton of stuff from that i remember yeah it was just it was a strange time very weird uh, traveling the country at the time was, was super strange. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so like we, we continued to do that and it was really hard because our lineup other than Jay and I was just revolving. I mean, it was just different people like on every tour. Um, and so it was really, really difficult. The first tours we did, um, the, uh, our friend Peter, who I went to college with, we were at, uh, the Corcoran school of art in DC. Um, he played, uh, who's now in, he's, he's still in Fairweather now, but he was like, we, he was just a fill in guitar player at the time. Um, and he, he was on the first tours we ever did. Like our, our original guitar player, Scott was not on any of those first tours. He did a few tours towards the end of, um, 2001. So we had this very weird, like, uh, shaky foundation where we could never really like get our footing during that first year. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, of playing, even though like there were tons of tours happening, it was just like, you know, we would get done with the tour. We would feel like we'd gotten to a good place and then the lineup would be different. You know, it was tough. It was, it was weird. Um, wow. definitely a weird time. It, and, and I think a lot of people don't know that about this band. A, a lot of times they think about it. They're like, you know, there's this one lineup. And then, then there was another lineup after that first record is like, well, there was this one lineup, but it really wasn't. You know, so even keeping we it together, playing. even keeping it together felt like, I mean, it was almost like work to just figure out, okay, this tour is happening. We need to find this person. I mean, oh uh, yeah. Oh yeah. It was crazy. And you know, I mean like it's also, you know, your children traveling around the country playing songs and stuff. There's all kinds of weird problems with things you have to figure out. <laughs> you know, you gotta have a lot of weird perseverance to get through very strange specific problems, you know, related to vans and breakdown. I mean, we had all these horrible breakdowns in our vans where it was just like the, the further seems forever tour that we did. It was, it was, it, 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 ed, uh, it edged right up against the end of this Thursday tour that we did. And our van had broken down in, uh, in like outside of Columbia, South Carolina. And, we had to have a new transmission put in the van. And so like these tours just started, the shows just started to disappear. 
as we were waiting on this van to get fixed. And really, like, we ended up on this Further Seems Forever tour, we ended up driving straight to Seattle. Like, wow. F- from D.C. I mean, f- you know, from, from the East Coast. We drove down, picked the van up in South Carolina, drove back up all these ridiculous problems and then just drove straight through as shows, you know, and like the van's breaking down more as we're going out there, you know, like on the side of the road, you know, it was crazy to think about how many mechanical issues had to be resolved. Um, you know, cause everyone was driving these kind of like crappy old Dodge, you know, 3,500 Ram vans, right. you know, that, like that's just what you had and you just figured it out. And I fortunately knew a bit about cars. I'd worked on cars growing up with my dad. So like we did, did some mechanical work that you can do on the road myself, you know, but some stuff you need a garage. So, and so um, for, you know, those sort of, I remember hearing from Dan, Oh, this band's van is down or Steve would yell like, Oh shit, I have to wire money, you know, or something, or, you know, keeping these things going. Um, What about outside of, you know, the, the band members or musically like, or musically, sorry for, for the stutter, more of like, were you looking at reviews? Were you hearing people? Were there, were there, check out this hardcore band? Like, what do you remember from that moment that, um, from like sort of a reaction as you kept doing these tours? Um, you know, I think like it was, I, I think we were so focused on like, just trying to kind of keep the train going it really was not until the beginning of 2002 that um, we were like, okay, what is the future of this the band? Like, what are we what are we doing? We need to write. You know, we we have some more songs that we've been thinking about, and but who's playing in this band? Um, you know, wow. And that's really that's really like when we went through a, a big restructuring of like the the band members. We had to find a new drummer. Um, our other guitar player at the time had left. And so we brought Peter in who had been playing with us on some of these other tur- tours in the, you know, in the, on the first, on the first record. And then, um, and then we found Shane um, Johnson, who's still in the band. Um, Peter, Shane, Jay and I have, you know, stayed in the bands, you know, we've played together since, since then we've only added on members and it was just a four piece um, at that point. And that really like, you know, the, the, we, we did an EP, um, with Jay Robbins, uh, at inner ear, um, at the beginning of 2002. And it was like this, this EP Alaska was like a, a very, a very different sounding record for us. It was much kind of more frantic, less like, um, four on the floor. Pres- yeah. Much less like kind of like poppy like all the songs on the first record i think are like major keys and this was like all dark weird fast busy stuff um and we really like wanted to sort of mess with the sound that we had been you know we had like been playing and i think like when we were playing live it was all like we played a lot heavier and a lot louder than i think like some of our stuff would lead you to believe and so this EP was like an attempt to kind of capture that. Um, and, and, you know, we started touring on, on that record at the be- beginning of 2002. Um, I'm pretty sure after we've, f- you know, after finished recording it. So um, I'm trying to remember like who we were out. I think we did stuff with Piebald um, that year. Man, I should look and see if I can find a doc, this doc. This, like, uh, <laughs> did you write everything you know, down? 
Jay did. Jay was very good at like um, keeping track of all the shows that we had. But um, but that is that time period, like 2002, was when stuff really started to kind of change in that world. Um, at least from from our perspective, I think. I felt the same um, way. That's what I want to bring up because I, I, you know, there were tours. I remember Dan or us speaking and. And going like, yeah, this thing's not hitting, or they're, they're really into X, you know, or not X, the band, but you know, band X. And I was like, what? And it, it was just, it was, uh, it, I didn't, I, it, we, we were friends with some of them too, but it was like this shift um, that I, I felt that there were things that I thought were great that not necessarily ignored, but sort of not not uh not as i was like what but a year ago you were promoting this why not now like that those kind of conversations i i don't know if this is your experience like being in the in the like business side of things but it really felt like a change in the way the stuff was organized mm-hmm. um it really felt like it started to be you know shows were big I mean, like, it only takes so long for, like, shows that are just DIY shows, um, you know, with, like, 800 people at them for, like, the mechanisms to kind of take notice of that and to be like, oh, we got to replicate this. We got to figure out how we can get a a grip on this. Um, And the way that tours especially started to, you know, started to happen was a much more like behind the scenes kind of a thing. It's really started that year where like groups of managers, groups of booking agents would kind of, it seemed like they were kind of designing what the tours were going to be behind closed doors in a, in a weird way. And so that felt like a lot of the kind of gatekeeping that I know we did not dig in a particular way. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I was on those calls and I would hear the the discussion. And I'm not again, I'm not against progress, promotion, marketing. Uh, it just felt there was like this um they were speaking about it in a way and I'm like and then maybe that's my downfall. But I'd always been like, whoa, like you're doing that because of like six other reasons. And 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 it just it, I, I remember, you know, hearing about how some tours, be, you know, got sort of put together and not blaming booking agents. A lot of them are friends. But I just it, it definitely used the I'll give one example. I was a kid at a small indie label that was pretty big at the time. And the president started asking me for weekly meetings because I knew about the bands more than his A&R team. And that's when I was like, Oh crap. And it just seemed like there more of those people were, were showing up then. And, and that's like a disappointing thing to see when you kind of started at a time right before things started to get like really popular where it was just like, man, again, people are just doing this like with each other. Like the bands would just tour together because like they dug each other's songs and they were like, you know, I don't know, similar kinds of people. They enjoyed 
the same kind of music or the same kind of sensibilities. And they just kind of, people were organizing it themselves. And, and that, that became a bit of a, I mean, 2002 is when it started and it was not until we really kind of got into the second full album that we recorded Lusitania that, that all like 2003, that's when everything was like, okay, it's a whole different game. This is a totally different world than what we started in, and it sucks. Do you know what? Do you, <laughs> you know it's it's very interesting you say that because I was writing some notes before we spoke um, of my memories and things. And the thing I wrote next to Lusitania was resistance. I just remember this like resistance to the record, the sound. I hope this isn't offensive, but I just remember being speaking. No, you're speaking. You're, you're preaching to the choir, yeah. man. <laughs> I just, I just remember like the people that were before I was like, well, this is this, like, let's, you know, I forget if I was not, I, I wasn't there yet, but I was still, I was like pretty much like a street team guy for Dan in New York. You know, if it was, you know, for a lot of these records mm-hmm. or coming to the show supporting. So I was, I wasn't working there yet, but I was sort of, uh, you know, deeply connected. And I just remember this resistance of like, why is no one caring about this? No one is caring about this record. And again, I, it was a combination of, I think, I could be wrong, an inability to look back at that moment. There was uh, what was in front of them on the counter of Hot Topic or wherever else these things were starting to get put in front or the package tour of like-minded sounds. Um, I just, that was, a. it was definitely like difficult to watch for me. And as as a band, I'm sure it was just, it was was more worse than me. And that's why you're on the show. So tell me. Yeah, I mean, I think that we are definitely somewhat to blame for it because we did not change with the tides really? in the way that we conducted ourselves. Like, we, you know, after the, after like that, uh, like our friend Jamie, who was managing us just for the very, very early, like the first year or whatever that we had done before we even recorded um, our full length, like before then, we, didn't have anybody like managing us. We didn't have a lawyer. We had a booking agent, you know, we had like, we, we like kind of flopped between two agencies. Um, we started at Feta with Nick Storch and then Nick left and ended up at, uh, face the music. And so we left Feta and went with him. This was like early in the whole thing. But so like we had a booking agent, but we didn't have a manager and, like that was a major, like, uh, when, you know, when that record came out, like there was no one at the table advocating, you know, like, except for like our, except for equal vision really, you know? And, um, and that only gets you so far when it's like manager, you know, I mean, this stuff is exploding in 2003, like shows are off the charts you know with like what's happening people are ending up on mtv and you know it's like the sounds (laughs) the sound scan sheet you know people's sound scans are like crazy um and we were just like too we just thought we were too punk you know like for any of that we were like man would fugazi have like a fucking manager like you know what i mean like and and, uh, i don't know you know like i just thought it was dumb i am like that we were just like this is that is fucking stupid like i had a hard time like can we play like yeah we can play the record's cool like what else is there you know that is really funny 
because I, I, yeah, I, I had that tendency sometimes even at the label of like, there's this band I really like. And then there's this other band that I don't like, but they're more successful. <laughs> and why? I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we definitely turned down a lot of offers, a lot of like management stuff, meetings, even meetings. We're just like, no, thanks. We're happy. No, thanks. We're cool. Like we didn't even go out to dinners. You know what I mean? Shit like that. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I think it was this, this, we just had this kind of like DC chip on our shoulder about that kind of thing. And it, like, it just felt kind of slimy in a weird way. It was just like, this is dumb. Like this is, this is gross to like, wow. to, to do this this way. And it was probably fine. It probably was no big deal. You know what I mean? But we're like, you know, I don't know. We're like 22 years old, 23 years, figuring it out, you know, at the time. But it was difficult. Like that record came out and like, I'm still super, super proud of that second record of Lusitania. Um, And I think we really did what we were trying to do on it um, really well. And it just didn't get in front of like that many people. It just wasn't it wasn't something that like people heard that, that, you know, that following year. And we had a lot of setbacks. Like our booking agent dropped us right. Like the, the like month after it came out and you know, there's just like this open vast, like you were saying, there's this, like there's this vast open expanse um, for the industry. If that scene like that really opened up that, like that year, 2002, 2003. And it was just like, what's fucking possible. It's like these jokers that, you know, don't want to, don't want to play with it, play, play the game. You know, it was kind of like, well, fuck you guys. Right. right. <laughs> you know, right. it kind of felt like that at least. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, uh, there's times everyone has those moments where this worked out or this didn't. And I, it, it, there was, there's no animosity any toward any band that I'm referencing or you're referencing that had success. It just felt there was this shift of the call. The phone wasn't getting picked up. Of, yeah, it's it's not the bands, you know. It just really, it just felt like the control shifted in a yeah. particular way, right? Yeah, like, yeah. The the like I, the in, maneuvering situations seemed um, uh, diff, different. I I I mean, unrelated but related. I felt it in the podcasting world too. There was one year where it was cool, and then the next year it was like, oh, everyone's here. Got it. Okay, this is over. You know, from a like, uh, yeah. you know, from a DIY or, you know, we're kind of in this together. Like, oh, right. This is this is over. iHeartRadio is here. OK, we're fucked. <laughs> like, uh, this is over. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I think it's a, a very interesting moment for I what I felt was there was this it was it was trouble to give a story about those bands. Then, you know, there was only so much online. There was only so much of if it wasn't, you know, in your town or if you didn't get a shirt and hot topic, that was a giant deal. Right? I mean, like think about think think about that now, right? Like, right. It's just like hot is hot topic is it does it exist? I think so. Uh and I know that they still do shirts and kids still go there and God bless well, I was yeah, from a I was from a shithole town that fine. had some record stores, but you're right, but it it that was that was it at the time. I mean, I would yeah. I would take tapes down to MTV when I was at EVR. I would take, you know, beta t- tapes to hand deliver and try to convince them to put bands on TV and or fuse and th- those kind of era things and it was um, those were that was just what 
move the needle. And I just, it was, I, I wanted, I remember memories of being like, I don't get how people don't understand this Lusitania record or other things that were kind of happening at the time that I thought were huge or, or I, I thought should have been more popular. And, you know, no one, it was just as if it was an, an invisible color. Like they, they wanted the pink deep V-neck for sure, but this was invisible to them. Uh, that's like a that's a really interesting way of putting it. Yeah, it it did sort of. I think it felt like it was the kind of thing that it was impossible to get in front of the right people. And I I really like. It's been great, you know, since that record. You know, the twenty years or whatever since that record has had came out. You know, that's like a kind of a record that people will talk to me about, um, right? More so than any other ones. Um, it's just because it it really was like. You know, it was this very serious record. It wasn't really like playing around. Like we were, there was these very specific things we were trying to do with every song. We had these these goals in mind. You know, we had a lot of these different production ideas. It's another thing that really got me, um, you know, uh, like really primed for thinking about the studio in a particular way. It's like the world is kind of wide open in front of you for possibilities for what you can do with that record. But you know, we weren't writing like pop songs with it. You know, I mean, that record was like pretty wacky and like a little fucked up. <laughs> I know? feel like every, um, every book I would write would be like a small indie band or a small punk band uh, getting into uh, being popular, having a couple good records. And then, you know, a time goes where no one cares. And then 10 years later, a, you know, f- a bunch of kids show up for a reunion and they talk about the record no one cared about. Like, I feel like that is the story arc. Like Bear vs. Shark was the same thing. Yeah, I mean, do you find that you find that to be like a like a regular kind of theme that you've you've, yeah. you've experienced when talking to, to different people? Yeah, talking to bands or just even fans. Um, you know, oh, I love that record. I'm like, where were you? I was at the fucking label. No one, no one bought this record. Like, I was looking at SoundScan every week for X artist. No one gave a rat's yeah. ass. And and uh, maybe it was people were just downloading it. And there was no way for us to monetize. I mean, Dan and Steve would joke, there's no way to download a t-shirt. So we would, that's why the merch now and merch store kept, you know, the label afloat right, in those right. small pieces. That makes so, sense. So yeah. the, I feel like that was, those were those, um, it felt, it felt very similar arc of, yeah, of course someone's going to come up to you and talk to you about Lusitania. No one cared. Not you know I mean you know what I mean I'm saying that in sort of a general way of at that yeah I mean moment. I, I think I think some people got it but like definitely not the not like in the yeah and I mean like bands liked it you right. know what I mean like like <laughs> but like it had gone you know we had we had ended up in this period where that didn't really matter a lot you know like where before if you just a couple years earlier like a band likes your record um, and you like theirs, you're probably going to end up doing shows together. Um, and that is just not what it was like pretty quickly. Um, you know, over the space of like two or three years, it just became a very different kind of thing. And, and it was like tiring. I mean, we, you know, talk about putting work in, like we were on the road nine months out of the year, like on the, these years, like, you know, we would, we would be grinding shows. We would do anything a lot of times. I mean, we'd play wherever we did a tour of February of Canada and in February one year, I think we're Shy Hulud. Like, like nobody who like Shy Hulud really liked our band, you know, but we're like, we were like, I guess we should do this, you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, like it really, it like wore on our morale and, um, you know, like a couple of us 
really wanted to keep playing shows and, and grinding like the way that we were doing it. And a couple of us just kind of wanted to like take a back seat and just like maybe stay home and like write records and like not kill ourselves um, being out on tour. And so we kind of decided like, why don't we just like be friends? Cause we were all like super close friends. It was never a band of like professionals who were like just played with each other. Like we were good buddy. Like all of us were like super tight friends. Um, and it was just like, why don't we just be friends and like not do this band anymore and just kind of live our lives and be, you know, kind of do our thing. And it was a good decision, you know, in, in a way, like, cause we're all still super, super, super close. And, you know, we've been able to make other music in the, you know, since, since then, you know, right. And, you know, some of the other guys went on and continued to do other, you know, they, you know, like Shane and, and Peter and our friend Nick, who's now in Fairweather, like they, they played in a band on like, um, uh, and I guess it was an EVR imprint that Dan had. Uh, um, I think that was Dan's. I can't remember. Yes, Some it of was. this stuff is yes, freaking it was fuzzy, Dan, man. I forget, but, the, I forget the name of the, it, but it was the Olympia record, right? Yes. And so yeah. they went on and played in Olympia and, and they were like, I mean, talk about Fairweather. Like those guys were like right in the thick of when the, like, this is like 2004, 2005 era, like, I think it was probably even much more difficult to do stuff at that stage than than like when when we had kind of you know said the hell with this. You Absolutely, know what I mean? that I, they even had a harder time. I remember having a harder time with them, um, yeah. getting people to pay attention. Um, and uh, yeah, what about um, going back to EVR and this year with this uh, record and. Um, what was that like? You said you, you stayed, you hopefully you stayed friends and you kind of, um, wanted to do this again. Was it, was it COVID related? Was it something else? Was it just missing everybody or something? Well, n no, we actually started, um, the musical like composite, like, you know, again, we, we started, we started playing like in between when Fairweather ended, sorry, this is kind of <laughs> me like going back even farther than that. But like mm -hmm. when Fairweather ended, I was like, I'm done with music. F fuck this. Um, and I, I, I didn't really do much of anything for a few years. Those other guys were doing things in Olympia. And then I ended up, um, uh, writing some of my own music and it ended up kind of just being all of the guys in Fairweather, um, playing together, um, on these songs. And we were like doing a practice for a show, maybe 2007 or something I can't remember when exactly it was, 2008. And we started playing around with the idea of um, maybe doing like a, a Fairweather show. I mean, again, we were just friends. Like we didn't have any break in our friendship. We all like kind of live in this, we all lived in this area, um, you know, and so we all hung out all the time and it was just thought it would be fun. And so we did a reunion show in... I think it was 2011 or something like that. 2000, some, I can't remember exactly what year it was, but but then we we wrote some other songs. It did a, a a full length for Equal Vision. I think in 2013, 2014. Oh, and, right. Last words. Or no, no, sorry. That was yeah, that was a single. It was like it was yeah. It was, self, a, it was just a self titled one. Yeah, yeah. And so we did that, and that was like this super, just very raw, stripped down. Um, uh, record like really really straightforward um like punk record um some I, there are some songs in there that i like are just i think are the best songs we've ever written um like uh, some of the most interesting stuff we've ever done um 
And it was very straightforward. And, you know, again, like reconnecting with EVR, always like totally easy. I mean, those guys are, I mean, I don't know, you know, you know the drill with, with them. I mean, they're like the coolest. <laughs> and it's like, Dan is always just like, yeah, I mean, like, what, what do you guys want to do? I, I still, I'm like, are you sure you want to agree to that? Because I still remember there was one time when our Alaska, I feel so bad about this, but like our Alaska CD had come out. And we had like this, this, this is back in like 2002. And we had this like anti like imagery that we wanted like this, this booklet of like four pages of like, no, just like of just color with like <clears throat> nothing on it, you know, like really conceited shit. Right. And like just dumb. And, um, and I think like the pressing facility had like called EVR and was like, Hey, uh, I think you guys maybe made a mistake. Um, there's like nothing on this, these pages. Like, are you sure this is right? And um, we saw him at a show in like Ohio or something. And he brought these CDs and we were like, this is the wrong paper, man. What the fuck, Dan? You know, and Dan was just like the sweet, he was just like, oh man, I feel so bad. You know, when like, I think reasonably most people would have just been like, dude, fuck off. You know, give me a, <laughs> give me a, give me a break. There's nothing on these. There's nothing on this paper. Like, it's fine. It's a, who cares? But, um, I always like, I feel like I, 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 I know for putting up with us that those guys are just the coolest, you know, they believe in their artists, you know, they believe in, in the bands. So intensely. I think that's, so, I think that's on their pitch. They said fair weather, sur- you know, we survived fair weather. I think that's one of their taglines. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a reasonable, that's a reasonable selling point, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like what people like coat their, their truck beds in. It's like, you know, this, this will, you know, this will survive anything. This will survive anything. Um, oh, that's funny. Yeah. But, you know, um, so like, you know, connecting them is like super easy and we've just, we, so we did that record and then like we, uh, we added, um, so our, our friend Ben Murphy was our bass player for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's like a guitar player, like a great guitar player. And bass is like not really his instrument. And I mean, he's a great bass player too, but like, you know, he's like a creative, thoughtful guitar player, which I think is like more in his world. And so we're like, well, what if we brought our friend uh, Nick, who had toured with us and was in Olympia to play bass and then just like sh- sh- move Ben Murphy to guitar and then like we can really just all hang out and bullshit and and like have an excuse to kind of like play music at the same time <laughs> you know and so that's what started the four songs that are on this most recent record um you know we really just started writing stuff that was a very different approach than our, our last thing it's very you know three guitars you know we're really trying to arrange for that um so there's a lot of depth it's a much deeper, more lush, uh, more maybe more similar to Lusitania, but ma- like you know pushed even farther um, than than that record was, and um, and so yeah, that started the the music composition for that started taking place um, a few years ago, and then it was really just before COVID that we started um, like the pre production and recording process, and then in COVID is when we started to do all the the like full-on recording of the guitars the keys the vocals and stuff and and much of the vocal like the lyrical subject matter is you know kind of referencing some of what goes on in the the world or what what was happening to to collectively to to us like as human beings during that time that's awesome anything else you want to mention about 
um, the latest record? The record came out, uh, unfortunately, like the exact same day that Roe v. Wade was overturned. So uh, it was like the exact, again, like I survived Fairweather, right? Like Wrong paper. Just, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, wrong paper. It's like that's our payback, right? Like, you know, it's like the like a, a terrible day. Nobody like wants to be like promoting a record on a day. You know, like right. It's just like this is just terrible. Like, it's a bit of a, a, a nightmare of a of like a release for us. Um, but like we, you know, we ended up we did a release show. We we went and played Furnace Fest, you know, in support of it, and all that stuff's been really really fantastic. And again, I don't a hundred percent know what the future holds for us. There's other song ideas that we have, but it's like. You know, you're all, we're all like Jay um, is in Texas now. He's in Houston. Um, and Sh- uh, Shane and Peter play in Be Well, which is a band with Brian McTurnan, Mike Schleibaum, Aaron Dahlbeck from Bain. And, and so, like, they're also super busy. So, you know, we'll sort of see where the, where the future takes us. But, you know, we're all friends. So <clears throat> playing and, and recording stuff in the future is always on the table for us. I love that. I want to talk about your other life. Um, yeah. You know, production you, you've mentioned you know that you've learned over the years um about things but talk about your studio and some of your philosophies because i just really think it's interesting to hear um you know i read some of it on the website and you know dan had kind of referenced some of this as well but i'd love to hear you talk about your studio and um you know sort of you instilling some of these things you learned um while everyone survived your band Joke, joking. <laughs> yeah. I'm joking. yeah no i get it i get it um, you're it's it's true though um <laughs> yeah you know truthfully the like the studio stuff was always so uh you know it was like super exciting to me to be in the studio um it's where i felt like the songs could you know they could kind of become something you know, a, a little bit like a little bit different than maybe you even envisioned. And so there's this dialogue back and forth with the recording process. Um, you know, when you're in the studio, like you're, you're kind mm-hmm. of like searching. Um, I, I, you know, as, as, as someone that does like recording now, it's like, there's always like an, a, a little bit of just strict documentation of like, of us, like was, you have to have it be believable to some degree. (laughs) Like it's got to sound like a band playing the songs, like, you know, um, and so when we were in the studio, it wasn't like we were going totally haywire with like our, our visions for things, but it really like, it struck me. And like Jay, Jay really was like, he kind of like got into the technology side of it during our pre-production recording for um uh for Lusitania we did these like cassette four track demos on like a Porta studio and and it was like kind of like through watching him do that that I was like man this is like pretty cool like it's it's like available you can do it and Jay and I like after Fairweather stopped playing like you know he and I kind of like worked on some records together um we all kind of like we're buying equipment and we would work with bands, you know, like there's like a kind of, you know, the, the equipment is one thing, but a lot of it is just like so much of it is about like, like sensibility, you know, and just like kind of knowing a little bit about like what music sounds like recorded and versus when you're just kind of like fucking around in your, in your room and like what needs to happen for it to come across a particular way. Cause you know, recorded music doesn't hit in the same way that performed music does. It's a very different experience. Um, and so it was really like 
kind of in the immediate aftermath, like maybe a year or two after Fairweather stopped playing that just started convincing bands to let us record them for like for free and then for like a hundred bucks and like for a case of beer and just like I, I got more and more and more and more into it. And you know, over the years, like I, I started a studio with somebody and, um, you know, it was like a place that was built from the ground up, um, out kind of near Dallas airport and was there for like four or five years Really, like really beautiful studio. And I think every studio has like a, like a, a story about like two people starting and then one person like kind of goes nuts and like causes all kinds of problems. And then it just becomes someone else's thing. So that is like, without getting too deep into the weeds with that, that's kind of like how that studio ended up. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole compli- complicated story, but I was there for years. And then, and that's like kind of far away from the city. Like if you know where DC is, like out by the airport is like, you know, it's like 40 minutes, 40, 35, right. 40 minutes away from, from DC. And it was like maybe six years ago, seven years ago, six years ago now that some friends of mine uh, in downtown in Capitol Hill um, had this space that was like a fully built out recording studio. And they're in this building that had all these like, it's this old school style DC building that there are almost none of them anymore where there's like artist spaces, Mm -hmm. um, you know, where there's like people have like their studio, like their art studio. And then maybe there's like an apartment in the back. Um, and so this is this building and one of the units, this giant unit in the middle of the building was like a fully constructed recording studio and they had it as their like rehearsal live space and they moved to Los Angeles and were like, dude, we're leaving DC. Um, you should move your operation in here. And then this is like in down, I mean, this is in Capitol Hill in downtown DC. I'm like 10 blocks from the wow. Capitol. Um, and there's like nothing like it in like in the city. It's like it's crazy. It's this enormous like 1,800 square foot big recording space in DC, um, and it's like this wacky building with like arts all arts usage stuff in it, which is very unusual at this stage for DC. Um, it's like one of the few remaining you know spaces. And so, like for the past like six years, seven years, I've been like right downtown and. Um, you know, philosophy, again, it's a lot of my philosophy is it, it, it's like the recording studio is a, is a bit of a like custodian for the particularities of the time that the studio exists in and the place that it exists in. And so my philosophy is very much, um, to be as kind of accommodating and chameleon like as possible for people. Um, depending on what they're looking for, what they need to do, um, you know, with the thing they're trying to record and document, um, and try to bring some of those sensibilities that are transparent enough to like, let people be as specifically themselves as they need to be, you know, without being like overly professionalized, what, you know, (laughs) like trying to like veneer up people too much, if that makes sense. When did you feel that you had that knack? Um, I don't, I don't know. It's this whole process for me of like recording people is like a, has always been like a fake it till you make it kind of thing. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. Like, have, have I figured this out? No, I'm not saying you you figured it out, but I'm saying like, like kind of like a, 
I don't know, a therapist figuring out that they they're, they they can talk to people and, and get something out of them or, or be productive. I think I think this is a, a big skill. So I is there was there a moment or a band or a, a time kind of like Brian's moment where you, you picked up on it, where you like, oh, wow, I said this. I had no idea I could do this. And this band executed that. You know, I think like the, the I'm not sure that there's any specific moment early on. But there are things that make me feel really reinforced where, like, for example, I've been doing this in this city for, like, a pretty reasonably long time. Not, like, as long as as some others in D.C., because D.C. has such a rich history of, like, recordists doing things for decades. Uh, You know, like, Inner Ear, for example, is here for, like, 40 years. Um, But, like, when I think about people that I maybe, like, recorded their like band when they were like a little kid when their like parents were like I want to get my kid uh like a recording gift card or something like I don't know whatever you know working with someone who's super young and then seeing them to go on to and like working with them for years and and years and years and years and then having them go on to be like have their own like fulfilling career in their own right is like a pretty amazing thing to see happen like and that that is the kind of thing that um it like connects the dots from generation to generation to me and that's like an important you know service to me is to like um hopefully you know when i'm gone from from dc or or i I, you know uh, i'm just like not doing this anymore or whatever i can't foresee it but like that it's maybe a more robust place than it was when i started you know and it's tough in a town like like DC because, you know, DC is this very expensive like government company town, and so with like a small scrappy like arts community and, and infrastructure. I mean, you know, it's like we're like if you're if you're here for a long time, you know everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I think that's I, that. That's what I was looking for. I just feel like you're you're you sort of still got that punk sort of. I think feeling through like when you're told at the park, you know, leave it better a- after you left your hike. Like you're you want to kind of continue it, have people pick it up, um, and someone in your studio picks up something that you kind of said, and um, they aren't written down. They aren't. There isn't this manual that you can go pick up and. Um, how to figure this out. And I think I like that because it, you have to, you do need to be there. You do need to take that initiative to call you and record your band and figure it out and make mistakes. It's not going to be perfect. Um, and you're there to sort of shepherd that. And you said over the years, um, you're able to build those relationships. And like you said, in a tough city like that, um, it weeds out people pretty quick. DC is a tough city because it, it tends to be like, um, you know, it tends to be sort of transient, but this kind of profession, if you know, like recording, producing, it's like a it's like a scene in a particular way to me. How certain there's a certain kind of dialogue around professions that do this kind of thing, where it's like, don't you want to go where like the big fish are? Like, don't you want to go work with like like, don't you want to be in like New York or LA or Nashville where there's like this crazy infrastructure and there's like all these big, potentially big artists and that's where people go to make it. Like, don't you have any interest in doing that? And it's like, that is just so far from like what I think like this kind of work is 
about it. You know, this is like universals in, in a sense, like music is just music. It's like dancing. It's like something people do everywhere, but they do it in different ways in different locations. And as like a recordist, I think it's really important to like try to make sure that you are catering to the specificity of the place that you are and not try to make your the music that's being made in your town like New York or like Nashville or L.A. It's like, let it be what it is and try to document and work with people in the specific way so that there's like diversity in the the vibes of like the art that's being made in your place. No, I have no desire to, you know, move to some other, uh, you know, big place where is sort of a cliche to, I just, I just never felt like you had to move to some place to like do music well. And for a long time, it's like, keep your head down and focused on the people that are around you and serving them in with the particularity that they deserve. You know, I think anybody doing this kind of thing too is you're just fortunate to have, like people around you that are willing to let you <laughs> like work on their stuff, like with, right. them. you know, you, that's the real, like, it's like trickle up. It's not like trickle down, you know, like in terms of the way that like the, the resource flows, it's like, these people are like here, you're lucky to be in amidst this, like, um, this need, uh, and this desire, like, and so I, I, I feel like that's meaningful at any particular place that that you're in. But I mean this goes far beyond just like the like the niche genre of like recording music, which is its own thing. I mean this is sort of just like industry writ large, you know, like period. So do you feel do do you, do you feel good about um, the years making music and and this sort of where it's kind of led? Do you uh when you think back, of course, there's there's regrets, and EVR has thank God not gone under because of your band. But how, how, <laughs> how do you feel? No, I actually I don't. I truly don't think that I or I don't know that the rest of us feel like there really are that many regrets at all. I I feel like so much of what we did like in the heyday of when we were playing was like, we just kind of did stuff the way we wanted to. And like, we had a label that was down for that. I mean, for better or for worse. And, you know, there were maybe things that would have been smart, more strategic to do in particular ways. But like, I don't know, man, like I just don't, I mean, I think many of us have like a bit of an anathema towards that type of thinking. Um, It's like, keep your head down and do your work. Like, to, like be good like try to be as good as you can study what you need to study and like kick ass um and like i i feel like nothing but i mean i would not have this life that i have i mean my life would be nothing like what it is without the work that we did um through the years like we yeah we feel i think we all feel i don't want to totally speak for anybody else in the band but like i feel like um like nothing but fortune from all of the stuff that we were able to do. I mean, playing, driving around the country, playing your own songs for people is insane. Like, it truly is amazing. That's so tight that you're like, that you are, you know, you, you were down with the metal stuff. I remember like I had this horrible Pantera shirt. It was like a collage and it was like a collage of like, all, like Pantera logos, like their faces, pot leaves. 
like all over. Oh, totally. The I know fuck- exactly what I mean, one you're awful. talking about. I mean, yeah, totally. it was fucking the worst shirt. Um, but you had to wear and, it because there was like the, I had to, but like I, you know, they made me turn it inside out at school because it had all the, the pot leaves on it, and like I didn't even fucking really know. I was like, pot, like whatever, dude. Like, what does that mean? Um, but like, there was a shop. There was a shop at the mall um, called the Varsity Shop at Fair Oaks Mall. And they sold all these heavy metal T-shirts, and like my parents were super. They did not give a shit. Like what T-shirts? Like what death metal shirts? I had like all these horrible death metal shirts. Except I bought a Cannibal Corpse shirt one time. Um, and I wore it to the dinner table and it was like of a, I can't remember what record it was of, but it was like of a was corpse, it, like ripping, was it ripping ha- itself apart. Hammer smashed face with that record? No, it was, it was like eaten back to life okay. or tomb of the mutilated. I can't remember which one it was. Probably tomb of the like, mutilated. It was just like a corpse, like ripping his innards out. Right. And like, I wear it to the dinner table. We're like having like fucking, you know, like, <laughs> like spaghetti. <laughs> it's like, there's these. <laughs> like corpse innards falling up but my mom was like okay you can keep that shirt but there's no fucking way you're wearing that to school and i was like that's the point man like that's the whole point is to show off the shirt that i got you know at the fucking varsity oh, so good so i so i returned it i returned it for i think i returned it for an altars of madness t-shirt wow you returned it oh i would have said screw you yeah no, I you know I was like not gonna push the envelope. Okay, they didn't yeah, want it was at that day wasn't the day to push mom. I get it. Nope, nope, nope. But we were having spaghetti, you know. <laughs> um. We made USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply.